Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamdulillahi na'hamaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdiyuhu ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا فمن يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله فان اصدق الكلام كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم um, We have arrived to a chapter on tawakkul right tawakkul and the word tawakkul is an interesting word a wakil is somebody entrusted with something right if you say that So-and-so is a wakil. He's my wakil. That means I entrust my affair to her. I, I entrust my affair to him. So this is the person that I have assigned to protect my interests. That's my wakil. Tawakkul is a fifth form Arabic verb, and it is the process of making God your trustee, making God the one responsible for preserving and promoting and protecting your interest, right? And tawakkul is one of the things that God loves. You know, in the Quran, the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the love of God, glorified and exalted, has only been mentioned in connection with seven states that men and women can achieve. The first of them, taqwa. God loves those that revere him. The second is tahara. God loves those who strive to be pure, inwardly and outwardly. The third, tawakkul. God loves those that rely upon him. The fourth is patience. God loves those that are patient. The fifth is Toba. God loves those who repent after they commit sins. You know, um, one of my students, they made a very good deduction. They said, if God loves repentant sinners, that means God loves sinners. Because you can't be repentant without having committed a sin before that. The, the, the sixth thing that God loves, pissed justice that a person is just god loves pissed people who are just they are not given to uh nepotism or favoritism or preferential judgment they call it just like it is and the last thing that god loves is ihsan spiritual excellence but today we're focusing on tawakkul now whenever i think about tawakkul The thing that comes to my mind is tawakkul is almost like it's not only believing that God exists. You know, um, some philosophers will acknowledge God as the uncreated creator of all being, but they don't believe that God really inter inter intervenes in human affairs. They don't believe in the God of history but they believe in the God of the philosophers, you know, like maybe God is the first cause, but I don't believe that, you know, God really controls the cosmos and the outcomes of our lives. And maybe, okay, creation needs a creator. I'm willing to acknowledge that. But beyond that, I don't really get into the God thing. Tawakwal is not just acknowledging that God exists. Tawakwal is acknowledging that God cares. God is protecting me. God is listening to my prayers. God is delivering me. God is saving me. God is preserving me. God cares about me. 
This is so much more important for our spiritual lives than just believing that God exists. You can believe that God exists, but also believe that God is remote. Yeah, God exists out there somewhere. No, Tawakul says, no, I have a relationship with God and I believe that God is, is, is protecting me. Every, I believe that God is, is assisting me. God is directing me. He says here, and you ask me about tawakkul. It is to make your belief in what God has promised firm. That you strengthen and reinforce your belief in what God has promised. So God says in the Quran, Whoever relies on God, God is enough for her. God is enough for him. You know, whenever I'm thinking about this ayah, I like to think about how we feel when someone is relying on us. When we accept somebody's reliance on us, we feel uh, obligated to that person. We don't want to let them down. We don't want to disappoint them because we know they're depending on us. Do you think that you have more honor than God? Do you think that God would disappoint or let down or abandon anyone who relies on him? Impossible. This is a, a, a manifestation of God's name, El Kareem. He's too generous for that. So if your belief in that is firm, no matter what is happening, you will find that you are at peace. I, I trust God and what he has promised, right? MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for instance, says, Can the reward for doing good be anything besides good? See, if you believe that, this gives you license to just do good, right? You're not as concerned if people appreciate you. You're not as concerned with their recognition of you because you believe in what God has promised you. If I do good, the result will be good. Whether they see it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they appreciate it or not, if I do good, the reward will be good. Allah says, God never allows the reward of good doers to be lost. So you know when you get that feeling that you're being taken for granted or people don't really appreciate you, God is telling you, if you've done good, your reward is secure with me. Don't worry about it. See, a person of tawakkul, they believe in that. Tawakkul also, a person, if Allah has ensured for us, for instance, our risk, our provision, right? So a major source of stress, consternation, concern for a lot of people, for instance, is money. And when we are uncertain about our earnings, Shaitan can lure us into doing things that are indecent. So the Quran says, Shaitan threatens you with poverty and then tells you to do things that are indecent. So if you ask some people, why are you selling alcohol? Why are you selling drugs? They say what? I don't want to be poor. I have a family to care for. So you think if you gave up the haram in preference to the halal, Allah is going to what? Make you impoverished? You believe that? Right? Or is it that you don't believe that what you have is the outcome of God giving you, but rather you believe that what you have is the outcome of your activity, your action? See, this is, tawakkul is, if I obey God, 
No harm is going to come to me. Right? This is tawakkul. To make your belief in what God has promised you firm. Brothers and sisters, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, <clears throat> wow, mashallah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Just the way he positioned that thing, you know what I mean? That thing, it, it hit me, you know what I'm saying? You know, and I was like mid-quote, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He said that when each of us was in the womb of our mother, after the first trimester, an angel is sent to the womb. This angel ensouls the fetus, right? So this is when the fetus truly becomes human. And it writes for this fetus three things. The first thing, it determines all of its risk. Everything that you are going to consume as a person, all of your money, all of your clothes, all of your food, every dwelling you're going to have, everything that you are going to take use of is already determined for you. It determines your lifespan, right? If you're going to be born, when you're going to be born, and when you're going to die, it is already determined. It's already known. And it determines shaqi aw sa'id. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. And it determines Sa'id or Shaqi. Is this going to be someone that is felicitous, happy, going to Jannah, or someone destined for another place? The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Allah has already determined your provision for you. Oh, mashallah, she wants to grab that microphone. So seek your earnings beautifully. God has already determined what you're going to get. I think I mentioned um, in this class that I was sitting in uh, the classroom at Al-Azhar University. And we were talking about this hadith and we were talking about risk and, and all of these things. And I, I thought that I had like this really... I won't call it devious, but I thought I had this really compelling question. And I'm like, do we consider money that was earned from haram things risk? Like if a person makes their money selling alcohol or selling drugs or uh, uh, prostituting women or a person makes their living as a hitman or something like that, is that considered risk? My teacher said, absolutely. Anything that God gives you is considered risk. But what that person should know is if they sought their earnings in a halal way, Allah would still give it to them. The only thing they do in seeking their money in the haram is uh, sully, dirty their own souls. They're not gaining anything by this. So if you believe in God's promise, then you're not tempted to do anything unbecoming of you to get anything because you believe in what God has promised you. He continues, To believe that everything determined for you is going to arrive to you. Inevitably, la mahala, inevitably. Everything that God has determined for you is going to arrive to you. Inevitably. Right? The Prophet was with Ibn Abbas and he said, Ibn Abbas, do you want me to tell you something? That if you adhere to it, if you hold it tightly, it will give you peace of mind. Ibn Abbas said, Of course. He said, No that if everybody in creation worked together to give you something God had not written for you, they would not be able to help you in the least. 
And if everybody in creation worked together to deprive you of something that God had already written for you, they would not be able to prevent you from that thing. So just relax, just relax, right? This should help us with some of our anxiety about the future. The entire affair is in God's hand. The wise and knowledgeable, they know that, they acknowledge that. The entire affair is in God's hand, right? He continues. Again, even if even if everybody in creation is working to keep something from you, they won't be able to prevent you from anything. It's coming to you. All you have to do is be patient. And if you feel like, man, I've been patient. When is this brother going to ask me to marry? Where is he at? Where is he? Just be patient. Just be patient. I remember uh, someone said to me, you know, Imam, do you know any du'as for marriage? I said, well, you know, you can ask God to, you know, bless you with a good partner. Then you know, I want a du'a for marriage. I'm like, you want like a du'a that a person just shows up at your house and well, my GPS led me here, but I don't know why. Are you single? I am too. I don't know any du'a like that. But Ask God for what you want and then be patient. You know, many of the scholars, they talk about there is never any harm in asking God for what you want. Never. Either you will be granted what you want or you will be given something better than what you want. Or God knows that what you want isn't good for you, so what you want will be, be withheld from you, and you'll get, you know, something that is good for you, or God wants to give you better than you ask for when you need him. Those are the only possibilities of praying. One of those things will happen. One of those things will happen. So there is never any reservation that we should have about asking God for what we want. And when you ask, it is actually a part of the etiquette of dua to be bold, right? When you're praying to God, this is not the time to be modest, right? Like, you know, if you want to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, at this point, I, I'll marry anybody as long as, as long as he has a pulse, you know? I mean, he has a pulse, little E-man, I can make it work whatever, you know, it's not. Now, if you are in fact quite flexible, that's a good thing. But when you're asking God for what you want boldly, it's a testament to what? I believe you can give me what I want. See, one of the, the interesting, um, uh, and this is something, uh, all of us are familiar with this, but we scarcely think about it. You only ask for something. You only ask someone for something that you think can give you what you want. If you know somebody is broke, would you ask them for money? If you know someone is a coward, would you ask them to stand with you in a, in a, in a time of, you know, difficulty? If you know somebody is physically very weak, would you ask them to carry something for you? No. You only ask of people what you think they can give you. So your ask is not simply a reflection of your need. It's a reflection of what you think about the person you're asking, right? That's like when you go travel back, you know, if any of us have gone overseas or um, you've lived overseas, man, people will ask you for all kinds of stuff. Yo, man, you, can you bring me an iPhone? You know Michael Jordan? No. Bring me some Levi's. Bring me some Chuck Taylors. Bring me a MacBook Pro. And I remember I used to regard this as like an annoyance. Yo, man, why are they, why are they asking me for all this stuff? 
until I realized, even though it's still an annoyance, it's an annoyance, they're asking me because they think I can give them these things. It's, it's, it's in a sense expressive of their high opinion of me. That's why they're asking me. If they didn't think I could do it, they wouldn't ask. But they look and say, you know, you look, you look like you're doing okay. When you come back over, man, bring me an iPhone. Man, I was like, $899, bro. <laughs> I guess you thought I had it. Okay. I guess you thought I had it to spare. So when you ask Allah, it is not just an expression of, of what you want. It's an expression of what you think he can do. See, if you say, yeah, just give me something. You're talking to Rabbul Alameen and you say, just do something. Just give me something. Whatever. It's almost, it's almost offensive. Whatever. I can give you anything. So ask for exactly what you want. <laughs> I can give you anything. So ask me for exactly what you want. Don't be vague. Right? And then be patient. Be patient with the decree of Allah. He continues. Wama laka yuktablak. And what is for you is already written for you. What is for you is already written for you, man. You know, qadr is one of those things that it should provide us with some measure of solace. This doesn't mean that we don't actively try to pursue the things that we want. We should pursue everything that we want. In fact, if you ask God for something and then God makes the means of achieving that goal available to you and you don't take those means, this is like rejecting God's outstretched hand, right? If, you know, it's almost like, what's the famous story? There was a man, he was on an island and uh, a storm uh, developed and he asked God to deliver him from the island and a boat came and the boat said, come aboard. He said, no, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. And then somebody else came and said, come, come aboard. No, I'm, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. Somebody else came, wait, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. And finally, somehow God conveyed to him, I'm trying to deliver you. You see, so the means of achieving what you want is a part of God's qadr. We're not saying, you know, uh, just wait for miracles. No, you have to work. You have to apply yourself. You have to commit yourself. But those means, whether it's through education or skill or opportunity, these are the means through which God gives you what you want. So be patient, but also be proactive. Some people think tawakkul is tawakkul. The word tawakkul means to rely upon God. Some people, would mean, some people think it means to be fatalistic, just to sit back and say, you know, man, whatever Allah wants, whatever Allah wants, man. The Prophet wasallam, he never did that. And who was more reliant upon God than he? But he always worked. You know, one of my, my favorite verses in the Quran is the children of Israel are traveling through the desert. This is uh, the period, uh, uh, this is the, the event in the biblical language that is known as the Exodus, right? They're, they're fleeing Egypt and they're thirsty, right? They're thirsty and they're complaining of thirst and hunger. And so, they say to Musa, alayhi salam, man, they say to Moses, we really want some water, man. We are thirsty. It's hot. We're exhausted. And so God says to Moses, God reveals to him, strike the stone with your staff. And Moses strikes the stone and 12 springs of water gush forth. And it says, And every tribe from the, the tribes of Judah knew the spring they were supposed to drink from. Beautiful tafsir. Someone said, 
Water does not naturally spring from rocks all the time, right? What God did for Moses was a miracle, but God still forced Moses to use his hands. Even if God wants to do something miraculous for you, you still have to do something first. You see, you still have to make some action. Then the miraculous thing happens. You know, how many of you are familiar with the concept of baraka or blessing? Baraka, right? Blessing. You know, blessing is a kind of positive energy that God puts into something so that that thing exceeds its regular capacity. So if there's baraka in your money, you can do more with your money than you can normally do. If there's baraka in food, you'll find just a little bit can satisfy the appetite. If there's baraka in time, you can do more with your time than you would ordinarily be able to do, right? I learned about baraka when I was studying at Azhar and my wife wasn't a student at the university and she made demands of my time. She wants to go to the mall. She wants to go to the park. She wants to go for a walk. She wants to go for dinner. And I thought the right thing to say was, I'm a student and I'm, and I'm, a stu I'm, not, I'm not here on holiday, I'm here studying. And so I was talking to one of my teachers and he said, no, this is the wrong approach. He said, serve your wife, make sure she's happy, give her what she wants, Allah and maybe what God would put in eight hours of your study, he will put in three. Because you are following the sunnah of Muhammad and serving your wife. I looked at him. He said, that is baraka. It's a positive energy that God puts into something so that it exceeds its normal capacity. See, some people, and baraka is a qualitative thing. It's not a quantitative thing. You know, the Arabs, they say, al-kathratu min al-baraka al-baraka min al-kathra. Blessing does not come from plenty. You can have plenty of something, but it's not blessed. You can have plenty of free time, no, product, no productivity. You can have plenty of money, still stressed out, worried about money. No, plenty is from blessing. If you have a small amount of something, but it's blessed, man, it, 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 I'm satisfied with it, right? So one of our teachers, he said, Baraka is a miraculous thing. But God does not put baraka into nothing. You have to do something first. You have to start that business. And then God puts the baraka into it. Right? You have to make your effort. And then you'll say, dude, what I got out of this small effort was so much greater than what I expected. That's the baraka. That's the blessing. But you have to make your, you have to do something first. Right? So we're not fatalists. We're not like, I'm going to do nothing and just wait for God to help me. I'm, I'm not going to help myself. I'm not going to make any effort. No, I'm going to make effort and I'm expecting the blessing of God. Right? MashaAllah. Then he said, is it time is? Bismillah. About 15 minutes. He said, ikhlasi." And you ask me about sincerity. You ask me about sincerity. He said, sincerity is to make all of your actions for the sake of God. Your sincerity is contained in doing what you do for the sake of God and for no other reason. Every time I think about sincerity, I tell this story because I think it's a great illustration of sincerity. Uh, well, there's two stories that come to mind. There was this one brother in Egypt and he was kind of like legendary. Because it was known that at this small mosque in Mokattam, this area of Egypt called Mokattam, area of Cairo called Mokattam, he had prayed every prayer in the first row of the masjid 
for like 15 consecutive years. They used to, like they had a, like he had a nickname and he had a space. Like everybody knew this is his space. He's been praying every single prayer. I know you guys are like, man, he doesn't travel. He doesn't go anywhere. Nope. Right? Nope. Every single prayer, first row, this, the same mosque. They said, one day, something delayed him, and he wasn't able to make it. And they called the Inkama. People lined up. And then he came into the mosque, but he saw that people had already lined up, and he was so embarrassed that he wasn't praying in the front. He just left, and he went back home. And he didn't even pray. He just left, and he went back home. And he said at that point, he recognized that that 15 years of prayer, it really wasn't for Allah. It was for his reputation. Because if it was really for Allah, front row, middle row, back row, I'm here to pray to Allah. But he was so embarrassed that this, this reputation of his had been ruined, he couldn't even pray. They say from that day on, he remade all 15 years of those prayers. He prayed them as makeup prayers. SubhanAllah. He remade all 15 years of those prayers because he recognized it, was, it wasn't for God. It was for my rep. Another story that comes to mind is that there was a brother and he used to pray in the first row, but just for Fajr, just for the dawn prayer, the really early one. And one night he was out running an errand, picking up something from like a convenience store. And he decided to go to the side of the convenience store and light up a cigarette. He was sitting there, he was smoking a cigarette. And one of the other brothers that prayed Fajr with him jumped out and saw him uh, smoking the cigarette and was kind of like, gotcha, you know, like, ha ha. And my teacher said that the guy just calmly kept smoking a cigarette, like, what did you get? I caught you. You come to the masjid. Everybody thinks you're like a saint or something like that. I knew you had some bad qualities like the rest of us. I knew you were just a regular guy. You weren't this perfect person. He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell people I saw you doing this. <laughs> it's the Egyptian story. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell people I saw you smoking this cigarette that you're just a regular person. And my teacher said that, he said, Echi, this is a bad habit. And when Allah gives me tawfiq, I'm going to kick it. I'm going to get rid of it. But as far as who you're going to tell, God knows that I smoke cigarettes. Why do you think I would care who else you told and finish smoking a cigarette? My teacher said, that is somebody. In spite of this bad habit, he understands tawheed. He understands that I worship God, man. I worship God. I don't care what you, I'm going to tell somebody, bro, God knows I do this. You think I'm going to care what you're going to tell some people? What the people say? God sees me do this. That's enough for me. I don't care who you tell, what you tell. God knows. We have the opposite in our lives. We want to hide from people but we don't mind if God sees us do bad things. If God sees that I do this, psh, no big deal. But I wouldn't want anybody else to see me doing it. Right, nobody around? Let me go find that up, what? Right? I don't know, hey, 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 they go to Muslims, they go to Muslims, put that out, they go to Muslims. It's Desobeyed, Hey man, what's that smell coming from the car? It's the new Tom Ford. That don't smell like no oud wood to me. Nah, that's, that's a new one that he's doing. It's called Kush. You know, it's the new Tom. I got it from Bergdorf when I was in New York. And that's, a, that's, a interest, that's some interesting cologne. <laughs> and even then, I would still use Husna Dunn. I said, mashallah, I didn't know Tom Ford made a fragrance like that. But we don't care if, you know, Allah sees us. But all of this for people, all of this performance. You know, one of my teachers, many told me, 
Ikhlas is what gives you sincerity, is what gives you the ability to grow as a Muslim. You are not going to get anything out of making your deen a performance for people. You're not going to get anything out of that. And this is why you see some people. We've been Muslim for 20, 30 years. Our beards have grown more than we have. All of this performance, but I got the same hangups, same weaknesses, same inability to control my temper, same obsessions, same inability to control my tongue, but my outward presentation getting more and more refined. I know how to make this thing look like I'm on my dean better and better. I know how to dress it. I know how to speak it. I know how to perform it. I know how to mention the right books, mention the right scholars, mention the right settings. But what am I actually growing? No. Who knows I'm not? My wife and my children. They know I'm not. He not he's, he's just, his performance is getting more and more refined, right? He's able to pronounce that Arabic better and better. It sounds better. It looks better. Is it really resulting in growth? No. This is from a lack of sincerity. See, when it's sincere, you care about what God sees. The Prophet ﷺ said, Inna Allaha la yanduru ila surikum wa la yanduru ila alwanikum wa lakin yanduru ila qulubikum wa a'malikum. God does not look at your outward forms, nor does God look at your complexions, right? And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be proud of how we are outwardly. The Prophet ﷺ said this, that the asbab al-wurud or the context of the hadith, they were boasting about lineage. The Sahaba was sitting around talking about, I'm this and my people are like this. And the Prophet just interjected, hey, you guys are talking about all of this. And that's not even what God looks at. Who's the this and who's the that? And God looks at your hearts and God looks at your deeds. So take that. As you're talking about, you know, what you got and who you are and your lineage and, right? God looks at your heart. God looks at your deeds. So make sure those are taken care of. You know, whenever I think about trying to work on our hearts, I think about how vigilant we are working on our bodies. I mean, we have a full-blown culture of fitness, nutrition, health, wellness, beautification, aesthetics, because it's important to us that people see us at our best. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Prophet ﷺ called that husnul inayah bil madhar, taking care of yourself. Yuhibbullahu an yara athar ni'matihi ala abdi. Allah loves to see the traces of His blessing on His servant, so that if God has given you favor, that you should reflect that favor, that you can dress nice and that you smell good and you're in shape and all of that. But this is not what God judges. No one of us is going to reach Allah and Allah is going to say, man, you had some great swag, boy. I mean, nobody wore those skinny jeans like you, boy. Come on, boy. Man, you had the clearest skin of any of my servants. Please inherit my paradise. You didn't have a single, I mean, you had the most amazing hair of any of my servants, even Uzair, mashallah. No, I'm just kidding, right? You had the most amazing, get in this, no. Allah is going to look at your heart. And my thing is, nothing wrong with taking care of your exterior. But you, as, you better take as good care of your interior. If you care about your hair, and you care about your nails. I mean, like, it, there are people who would say, man, I've done more work on my fingernails than I have on my arrogance. Let me think about that. I've actually sat through more manicures 
that I have sessions trying to rid my heart of arrogance. That's a gross imbalance, right? I've received more haircuts than I've made prayers. Not me, you know what I'm saying? Not me. Right. But people that I've taken more care trying to make sure my hair was nice than make sure my prayer was performed well. There's just a gross imbalance in that, right? Allah is looking at the heart, the people. They see the exterior. You know, I, one older, but you know, nobody can correct you like, a, like an older person. You know, when I first became Muslim, I was in high school. And believe it or not, this <laughs> is a funny story. I used to have hair, man. You know, believe it or not, I used to have hair. And in my time, the big thing was you had to have waves. And I used to spend all day brushing my hair. I mean, all the time. And then when I went home, before I went to bed, I had to put my do-rag on. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to have those waves. I mean, I'll talk about, and we, it was something we used to boast about. You know, I would see my friend and make a cat want to grab a surfboard or something. You understand me? You know what I mean? You put, you put a yacht up here on these waves, dude. You know what I mean? You had to have waves. And I remember an older Muslim guy saw me brushing my hair so much. Right? And he said, man, why you brush your hair so much? I said, man, I got to have them waves. He said, well, why you got to have them waves? I said, man, because sisters is watching. <laughs> sisters watching. Right? By the time I got married, I was already bald. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess it didn't matter as much as I thought. You know what I mean? I had a way, sister's watching. He said, you see, you're willing to do all of this for some women that probably don't even pay attention to you. I was like, this is ihsan for the khalq. And these women, these sisters are not even looking at you. Allah is looking at your heart all the time. Do you put as much effort into making sure it's beautiful? Are you brushing it up? Are you polishing it up? Are you trying to make sure it's, it's clean? Are you trying to make sure it's together? I never forgot that. I was like, I see what you said. <laughs> I see what you said, but these waves got to spin though. You know what I mean? But just beautifying your heart like you beautify your exterior. This is ikhlaq, this is sincerity. Then he says, La yartahu qalbuka bi nas. One of the signs of sincerity is that your heart is not comforted by people praising you. You see, that's not, you know, for some of us, and I, and I realize this to be a deep part of who we are. Everybody wants validation. Anyone who tells you they don't want validation is not telling the truth. I'm, I watched uh, like this, like almost like a um, career retrospective that Oprah, Oprah Winfrey was doing. Someone was actually interviewing Oprah. And, you know, uh, one thing that Oprah said that really kind of stuck with me is that she said, you know, I've interviewed all kinds of people, from royalty to common people. And she said, Almost every person I have ever interviewed, as soon as the camera turned off, they all said, how was that? Like, you know, we're concerned about how we're perceived, how people see us. That's a part of being human. But the sincere person knows, while I'm concerned about it, what really matters is not how they see me, but how God sees me. That if everybody in the world thinks I'm a great guy, if I walk around, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you, man, I've been doing work in this community for about 10 years. And I've, I've traveled from sea to shining sea, working in Muslim communities, giving lectures, speeches, and stuff like that. And one year I was at ISNA, and I was just walking through the conference, and I realized a lot of people actually did know me in my small community. You know, I'm, I'm not a big deal to anybody, any anybody really, but in my small community, 
I realized that a lot of people knew me. Like, Sean Lake was Sensei Bay, Sean Lake was Sensei Bay, Sean Lake was Sensei Bay. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, man, a lot of people know me. And I was thinking, like, you know what, a lot of people know me. And then it just came to me. But when I go into my grave, I'm still going by myself. Even if I'm popular. Even if I'm popular. Even if a lot of people know me. This is what Imam Ghazali is talking about. Your heart is not given comfort by the fact that people praise you. Everybody says, oh, oh, mashallah. You appreciate it. But this is not what, this is not your ultimate goal, right? You know, it's like, uh, if I can be honest, you know, um, I try my best never to look at anything that anybody posts that I've ever done on YouTube or something like that. Because if I do, I always don't look at the comments. You know what I'm this is the most boring lecture I've ever heard. Probably shouldn't have looked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's the second part. Imam Ghazali says, Sincerity is also displayed in a person is not uh, driven to despair when they're criticized by people. Because you know, it doesn't matter that much. See, that's a sign of your sincerity. If people criticize you, sometimes they praise, sometimes they criticize. I'm not ultimately doing it for their praise, and I'm not trying to avoid their criticism. I'm doing it for Allah. Right? If it means being praised, I'm denied. If it means being criticized, I apologize. But I'm not doing it for that reason. You know, <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> you know, I remember this story that um, you know, it, it, it's amazing how, you know, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf is older now and not quite, not even among like this generation of young professional Muslims, he's not even really that popular. But I remember when he was, you know, like, I think if I were to ask like a young person, who's the most popular Muslim in the American kind of scholarly community, they say Omar Suleiman. Right, uh, I remember when Sheikh Hamza was like that, but I would even venture to say bigger. And he said during this time, he traveled to Syria, and he said that he was at the masjid, and everybody was crowding around him because this was a it was a kind of a phenomenal thing, like this great white American Sheikh. It was like a, like wow. And he said there was one person that was like standoffish, that wasn't like, you know, didn't appear enthused by him. And he said, after 9-11, and there was some controversy, and everybody started criticizing him. Everybody started talking bad about Sheikh Like, his fate changed overnight. And he said, he was at that same masjid, and that same brother was, like, coming up to him, giving him salam, and, you know, how are you? And he said, you know, I was here before, and, you know, you didn't seem very pleased to meet me. He said, when everybody was praising you, I was uncomfortable. But now that everybody's criticizing you, you must be doing something for Allah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Some people, this is their, you know, they don't do it for the praise. They don't do it for the criticism. You know, it's, you know, we try our best. Nobody should want to be despised. You know, nobody should want to be despised. But this should not be the ultimate value of anything you do. Trying to avoid criticism or trying to garnish, or garner attention or praise. Right? This is not the ultimate, this is not my ultimate objective to have people say, oh, that was great, or to not have them say, uh, that was terrible. It's not my ultimate objective. You know, I always tell younger presenters, speakers, teachers, you're not one of us officially until you absolutely bombed. You have to, to be in our fraternity, our sorority, you have to bomb. You have to go up there give a lecture where people walk out like, man, what was he talking about? That was one of the worst khutbahs I've ever heard in my life. Now you're doing, because you didn't, you don't, you, you want to help people, but sometimes it doesn't work. What are you going to do? Stop? You're going to stop teaching because you gave a bad class, a bad speech, a bad lecture. No, I'm doing it for a lot. I'm trying to serve the community. Sometimes it comes out in the way that you like. Sometimes it doesn't, you know? First time I ever spoke to the Muslim community in Chicago, um, 
I gave they they asked me to give a khutbah for Eid al-Fitr. <laughs> and I think that I didn't know that the khutbah for Eid should be appropriately brief. I think I wanted to put everything I learned in Egypt into that khutbah. So when I was on like the 55th minute of my khutbah, somebody shouted, an older Daisy uncle shouted from the back of the auditorium, just say Eid Mubarak so we can go home. Really, this is too much. And I remember looking around like, you, you want me to end? You guys want me to end this? There was a nice man sitting in the front. He was like, <laughs> that's, that's what I knew it was over. You know, it was, he was the sweetest old man. I say, you, you guys want me to end this? I was like, Abel Bada. Because I was like upset. I was like, Abel Bada. Everybody got up and just ran. <laughs> I went and talked to an older teacher. He was like hugging me. He said, MashaAllah, you're already in. This is your first speech. You're already, you're already in the club now. You're in now. Right? We don't do this just to be praised by people. We don't do this just to be celebrated by people. Maybe saying the truth will get you criticized by people. Maybe saying the truth, you'll say something, people will ah, I don't like what he said. That was terrible, that was horrible. We, we, try to do, we try to do something for Allah, and if people like it, mashallah, if they don't like it, mashallah. Right? That's a sign of sincerity. I didn't like it, I try, I try my best. But that's not my ultimate goal, right? He finishes by saying, no, in fact, let me see what time is it. We'll stop there, inshallah. Kulun kuli hada wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa li sa'ir al-muslimi wa akhiru da'awana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.